0: Uh, We begin tonight with a surprise move of sorts today from Russian President Vladimir Putin. He called for a ceasefire uh, in the war in Ukraine to mark Orthodox Christmas, which comes up on the weekend. Well, the gift, so to speak, or the ploy, if you're, uh, depending on how you look at it, was quickly rejected by Kyiv. They say the only move Moscow should be making to end the war this Orthodox Christmas is to remove all its troops from Ukrainian territory. Uh, Putin did not appear to make a ceasefire order conditional on Ukrainian acceptance. U.S. President Joe Biden called Putin a hypocrite today. I'm reluctant to respond to anything Putin says. I found it interesting. Uh, he was ready to uh, um, bomb hospitals and nurseries and uh, um, churches and uh, with, the, uh, with the with with on the 25th and New Year's and. I mean, I, I, I think he's trying to find some oxygen. Yeah, Ukrainian officials have previously dismissed Russian peace moves of this sort as playing for time to regroup their forces. They've been on the back foot for quite a while now. It comes on a day when the U.S. pledged some $3 billion in new military support for Ukraine. Biden says the U.S. and Germany will be sending armored combat vehicles to the country. We are going to provide the Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles, the United States, to the Ukrainians, and the Germans are going to provide the Martyr Infantry Fighting Vehicles that they have to the Ukrainians. Well, joining me now with more on this is Stephen Sadman. He's the Patterson Chair in International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. Thanks for your
1: time. Happy New Year, Ben. Glad to be here.
0: Well, 2023 sort of picks up where 2022 ended when it comes to the war in Ukraine. Uh, still more diplomatic; the, the war continues, uh, but a, a offer of a brief ceasefire today from from Moscow from Vladimir Putin. Uh, what did you make of it? More of a proposal or more of a ploy?
1: It's more of a ploy. I mean, uh, it was Christmas ceasefire since it's the Orthodox Christmas is a way for him to appeal at home to Orthodox Christian nationalism. It's a way for him to appeal to the international community to say, hey, I'm reasonable, but A, uh, one day truth doesn't really mean a whole lot, and B, if you invade another country and then say, hey, we're going to stop beating up on you. We're going to stay here. It's, it's not really much of an offer. It's like somebody busts into your house and beats up your family and then says, I'm going to stop beating you for a day, but I'm not leaving. It's it's not really all that uh, meaningful in the grand scheme of things.
0: So no surprise that you, the Ukrainians were quick to say forget it, No thanks
1: strategically it might have made sense for them to take a, a day break. One of the questions they would have to ask themselves is who benefits more from a break? Given the disarray of the Russians, can they actually use a, a day and a half break to meaningfully do anything? Would that 36 hours be valuable to the Ukrainians to get a, a breath? But I think they just don't, don't want to grant uh, the rind of legitimacy as being reasonable. So uh, they're just going to keep on fighting, taking advantage of whichever weaknesses they see in the Russian forces ahead of them. Biden,
0: Joe Biden, the president, said today that uh, that he thought that, well, first of all, he called Putin a hypocrite because uh, he mentioned, of course, that Russia had no problem continuing its uh, shelling of civilian infrastructure or civilians and infrastructure over uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, last week, and the week before. Um, but he felt that Putin was looking to find some oxygen here. Do you agree with that?
1: I think clearly Russia has been losing this war ever since they started it, uh, pretty much after their initial gains in the first few days. And so cease ceasefire for a day again. I think it's it would not have really much of an impact on the battlefield. It really is about appealing to his domestic audience, and again, m- making the onus of aggression to be put on the Ukrainians, which is kind of silly. Again, given given how this war has played out this far.
0: It's one of the things that has been talked about at times, but not too, too often, which is the fairly significant role of religion in this fight. Um, This appeal for the ceasefire came from Patriarch Kirill, who's the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, There's been a split now between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Uh, There is some fight over who's the better Christian going on in the background here, too, I would suspect.
1: The key thing that's going on here is that, and in terms of the religious dynamics, is that Russia and Putin have insisted that Ukrainians are just Russians. And the Orthodox Church has always, across that part of the world, has been comfortable with having multiple versions, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Armenian Orthodox Church, I guess, and certainly the Ukrainian Orthodox Church existing separately, but all under the same umbrella. But I think this is one ploy as part of a larger effort to, again, deny Ukraine its identity. And so what we've seen in Ukraine last month was you saw the Ukrainians themselves starting to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, Mm -hmm. as opposed to January 6th, because they want to distance themselves from Russia in every way possible. And so I think this war is actually going to be fairly catastrophic in the long term for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. That you're going to see people move away from it because their identities are changing, that the war is about many things, but because of what Putin has been doing, insisting that the Ukrainians don't exist, insisting that all their markers of identity aren't irrelevant, they're going to come up with their own. And you see that with statues falling down and new statues being put up. uh, You see that across the board in Ukraine. And so I think this is another big mistake by Putin because he's going to create further and further distance that will never be bridged after this past eight, nine years of conflict.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, the the whole... Aspect of of patriarch Kirill's support for the war and his support of Vladimir, how the Russian regime has incorporated the Russian Orthodox Church into its sort of uh, mission, if you will, um, to to you know deny Ukraine an identity has been has been interesting. You get the impression that this, again, as you mentioned earlier, that this really does play in to a domestic audience to say, hey, listen, we've offered this, you of know, the goodness of our, you know, as 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 the as the chief russian church uh, or as the russian orthodox church and uh, you know look at the ukrainians they've said no
1: yeah i i don't think i think that the one of the challenges for us is, to understand is that russian orthodox church and the orthodox church in general has not been a peacemaker we don't really tend to visualize them the same way we think of the pope now if we go back long enough in history the pope was pretty aggressive them, himself in the way 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 back but we tend to see leaders of religions to be peacemakers but I don't think the the leaders of the Orthodox Church in Russia see themselves as peacemakers.
0: You mentioned this today on social media, Stephen. You were talking about the dangers of a frozen conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the Russians have done this in other areas, whether it be in Moldova, in Georgia. This is something that they're skilled at. Um, It looks like as we head, you know, towards a bit of a stalemate here, that the the Russians may have an interest in trying to just stop this and, you know, just keep everything frozen where it is. And that, of course, destabilizes Ukraine.
1: Well, we've been living with a semi-frozen conflict since 2014 as the Russians uh, not only seized Crimea, but then essentially occupied much of the Donbass region. And they, they called it separatist, but we know that this was largely a Russian affair. And this is similar to what they did in other places where ever since the end of the Cold War, wherever Russian troops were left behind or wherever Russian troops attempted to occupy, you had disorder under their umbrella. So they never pulled their troops out of what was Moldova, because Moldova used to be part of the Soviet Union. Uh, In other parts of the former Soviet space, they didn't pull their troops out, but they didn't pull out there. And so Transnistria has always been this weird place where it's not really a Moldovan control. The Russians essentially, uh, their military is there essentially control things that separatists within Georgia, both in Abkhazia and South Ossetia, got support from the Russians. And as a result, these are places that their original countries, whether that's Moldova or Georgia, can't really ex- exert control, that nobody really exerts a lot of control. So apparently a few years ago, if you would get a counterfeit $20 American bill, it was probably from South Ossetia. That that happened to be the place where a lot of counterfeiting, because there's, there's nobody really monitoring or enforcing uh, regulations laws or whatever. And so that's been something the Russians have done, and they use that as wedges to exert influence and cause trouble for Georgia and Moldova. And this has happened in a few other places as well, but those were the primary places. They replayed this in 2014. The difference was the Ukrainians never stopped fighting. We appreciate it now in the past year, but we didn't really, weren't paying attention to from 2014 to 2000, early 2022, where the, the Ukrainians kept fighting. So they were semi-frozen, where these territories were kind of controlled by the Russians, kind of places where there was disorder, but there was still fighting going on as opposed to some of these other places. And so the Russians would love, to have the Donbass regions and Crimea and whatever new territory they conquered in February, March of last year to be at peace within the Russian sphere. And the Ukrainians want to deny that. And that makes sense. It's their territory. And it would be trouble to have hunks of your territory occupied by a foreign force that's engaged in mass rape, deportation and abduction of children, and all the rest of the Russians have been doing.
0: We've been seeing uh, news. There's another no more news today of a $3 billion US uh, military mm-hmm. package to Ukraine. We're seeing allies of Ukraine start to deliver heavier weapons, maybe not all the weapons Ukraine have been asking for, uh, but we're seeing a bit of a shift. What, what do you see happening with, with bigger and heavier weaponry, more ammunition going in on the Ukrainian side? The Russian side still looks depleted. I was watching something about their soldiers complaining about having no supplies being sent to the front line with nothing uh, these days. Where do you see that playing out in the next uh, six months or so?
1: Sure. Well, one of the things that Putin was counting on was that the cold winter would cause the Europeans to bend to his will, to to seek out energy supplies by stopping setting support to the Ukrainians. And we see the opposite of that. And part of that is, ironically, may have climate change to thank for that, which is that it's been a very, very warm winter, which means that the European countries are less dependent on imports from Russia. And in fact, I saw some other data on how true it was, but it seems like The Germans are now entirely independent from from Russian energy supplies, which is a big shift. Uh, So it's a loss of money for the Russians, but it's also a loss of influence. Uh, There's been a lot of pressure placed on Germany because for some reason, Germany has decided that they can't send tanks unless somebody else sends tanks. And so that's led to sort of a semi farcical discussion the past few days on social media about whether the new weapon systems that the french are sending count as tanks right Um, what what does a tank look like yeah exactly what does a tank look like and if it has wheels is it a tank and and so the russian system has wheels the united states is now sending bradley infantry riding vehicles which are technically seen as not being tanks because they don't have a big gun but they do have tracks and they do have armor and they they're much more capable than the things that were the british were sending across the no man's land during world war one that were the initial things that got to be called tanks so these are much heavier weapon systems, which are much better at defending the troops inside of them and also at taking advantage of breakthroughs and being more maneuverable on the battlefields. Because one of the things you want to do at this point in time for the Ukrainians is to break through the Russian lines and then attack people from behind. And these kinds of fast moving, heavy armored vehicles are good at that. They may not be good at taking on tanks themselves, although both of them can take on tanks. Uh, they're not quite tanks, they're not Abrams tanks, not Leopard tanks, but they're heavy, powerful weapon systems that will enable the Ukrainians to be more dangerous on the battlefield, to be able to break through and cut off the Russian troops. And you mentioned that the Russians are undersupplied and definitely under-moraled, if there's such a word as under morale. And as a result of that, you know, if you see something that looks like a tank, you're not going to actually look at your uh, the Twitter to figure out whether it's a tank or not, you're going to surrender. And particularly if it's facing you from behind. And that's really what they want to do is they want to break through and have these, these weapon systems come at the troops from behind. And then you get, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of soldiers surrender. And that would be both good for winning the battlefield, but also winning a larger political campaign of trying to prove to the Russians that are not they're not doing this. And nothing wins more international support than winning. So one reason why this is happening now is that the Ukrainians have managed to keep on doing really well in the battlefield. And so that means that other countries are more willing to invest in them because they're investing in winter. winner.
0: And they'll continue to fight over, uh, over this weekend, despite um, calls from Moscow for potentially a ceasefire. Stephen Sabin, thank you so much for your, for your time on this and your perspective.
1: Sure. My pleasure, Ben. Happy New Year.